All right. We've been talking a lot about preparation for what God's about to do. Really, as I said last week, it should be the sole reason of preparation. It shouldn't even be just this preparation for something God's going to do. It should be really about relationship with God. That Our whole aim is to live to please him, trusting to obey him, letting God do in and through us what we are created to do, what we are created to be designed to do. It should be, Lord, you have bought this piece of human real estate by your blood. So develop it. Put whatever you want in it and on it. I'm yours. Use me. Do what you want to do in me. Right? That's, that should be our heart and our intent. We talked about being forerunner leaders, forerunner church. Over our lifetime, we've been at the forefront. And I gave this chart of these five categories as a, as a precursor to the message. It wasn't the message. It was just to help you see, like, it really, it was supposed to help you understand potential hindrances in you as you are self-aware and understand where you fit on that, right? Are you an innovator? Are you an early adopter? Are you a early majority, late majority lagger? And I didn't come up with those terms. Don't be offended if you're a lagger. <laughs> Goodness. It just means that you have propensity for one reason or another to be very skeptical and resistant to change or new ideas. If that's you, you got to become self-aware and just say, yep, that's me. And then you can understand because you aren't deceived about yourself and blinded to who you are, you can understand, oh, this is my propensity. And it has certain challenges. Every group has certain challenges. Well, it was meant to be an introductory context so that you could use it to assess yourself. So the more skeptical or the more cautious you are, okay, there's certain things that could be hindered. Okay, one, you know, to personal spiritual transformation, that, that's new ways. New ways of thinking, new ways of living. If you're skeptical and cautious, it could very well hinder you from just entering in easily into personal growth and change. Okay, so that's one area. And the question that I would ask you is, how willing are you to change with quiet promptings and God using others to make subtle statements, or do you need a two-by-four across your head? Okay, so my question to you is that. Assess yourself. Ask yourself, am I really willing to change by God's subtle promptings in, in my heart? He lives in your heart. He's there. His spirit is there speaking, guiding, comforting you. What is he saying? How do you respond? The other aspect, if you are skeptical and resistant to change, is trusting God with your heart. Now, you say, oh, I trust the Lord, but risk sometimes comes in ways that your mind is not appeased. So sometimes God speaks to you in your life or has you take certain steps where you don't have all the answers to the questions you need. And if you're very inquisitive and you're very cautious, sometimes he's like, well, aren't you supposed to trust me because you're in relationship with me and you can trust that you can move forward without answering me answering all your questions. So that's important. So I want to ask you the question from Proverbs. How willing are you to trust in the Lord with your whole heart 
leaning not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him. Now, why would he put that there? I'll tell you why. Because the human mind is at enmity with God. Unless we're submitted, our hearts are submitted to him, and we make our minds and our humanism and our intellectualism and our rationalism, our empiricalism, if we submit that to the living word, the truth, then we're properly aligned with God. But it is very easy, folks, to contend against God's way that he wants us to go with rationalism and with intellectualism. Believe me. I mean, I know. I struggle personally with this. I struggle with needing to know answers. I need to Fortunately, I have a propensity toward innovation, so I'm, I can overcome a lot of these things easily because I have such a strong force there. But if you tempered that down a bit and took some of that away from me, I would be one of those who would be much more skeptical and cautious. And I would, be, I would have a million questions. I, anyone who's worked with me, if you're really working with me on a partnering and project, you know, I have a million questions. I have a million questions. Kurt... Uh, Michelson's funny because whenever he comes and brings me a report or a news on a progress of something, he goes, I say, and he goes, stop, stop. I know you have 10 questions, but I know what they're going to be even. And maybe if you let me finish, I can tell you all of those. And so I'm like, okay, go ahead, Kurt. (laughs) But see, he just knows. He knows there's going to be all kinds of drilling down of tons of questions, inquisition, So my point is, is that there's times that he wants you to just obey him. Now, some of you don't have much of a relationship with the Lord. You might not know how to hear the Lord's voice. You are his sheep. He is the shepherd. And the scripture does say his sheep know his voice. And so you have to practice that. And I would practice it on some more minor things in life, not like a whole new job or major life decisions. I would practice hearing the Lord's voice in simple ways, like your daily prayer. Um, Practice by reading the word of God and then applying it to your life and saying, Lord, speak to me ways I can change and grow. And then as you start to get to know his voice, You'll be able to, on those major life decisions, know that you're hearing the Lord. And you can test it with counsel from leadership, um, counsel from different aspects. There's all, all kinds of ways to hear from the Lord, but it's never on your own. That's the truth. It's always in this community, in this safety, the, the flock. Um, the third place that this, these, this graph or where you fit in it can be a hindrance is Um, being established in your identity with God over what people think. We talked last week about innovators not really caring much about what people think. That is not me. That's one of the things that I've had to grow a lot in not caring what people think because it's been a hindrance sometimes. And so are you willing, this question, are you willing to obey God even when it could mean failure in the eyes of men? And I'm not referring to, um, you know, like not listening to leadership that's, in all, that's all in agreement, multitude of counsel and wisdom. And, you know, unless you have an incredible track record of submission for decades and, and then there's that rare 
time. Because typically, unless there's massive control in leadership, there is a fear of the Lord, especially in this place. There's a fear of the Lord to say, Lord, what is your will in this? And if there's a consensus and there's agreement of leadership, that's not something to take lightly. So I'm talking about society. Like, there was a time when, way back, when I had a full ride to BU, and I felt like the Lord spoke to me, and I said, I want you to leave BU. I felt like the Lord said this, and that's throwing out a lot of money. Back then, I think it was 50 grand a year, and, you know, and all throughout high school, I had top, I, I don't think I ever got an A minus in high school. It's A's and A pluses, one of the top of my class, a passion for math and science, and so when I left BU and went and told all my high school teachers who, you know, when you're when you really excel, you start building real relationships. We had like one teacher that brought the whole swim team, like, um, what's the burger place? Swanson's, Swanson's Burgers, I think. But they like butter. They just like melt in your mouth, these things. And he just throw them out to all the guys in the team. Um, anyway, I went back and I was humiliated by everybody. Everyone's like, you did what? You left this for what? And they all thought I was part of a cult. And, you know, that hasn't changed either. People still think I am. <laughs> That's just part of life. People who aren't Christian aren't receptive to those things. I, I had a hard time with that, though, when I made that life decision. Now, fortunately, my parents were really supportive, and my the two people at that point in my life that really meant the world to me said, Sean, do whatever's in your heart. And so I had the blessing from my parents, but not from any of my teachers. They all thought, oh, no, what is happening to Sean Foster? This is the kind of thing I'm talking about. How do you handle going against the grain and being persecuted for it? Now, you might think, oh, that's no problem for me, but why did the majority of Churches and leaders in Germany all caved to social pressure when the Nazis took over. Why was there only Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that stood up for the truth? You know, the Bible stories talked about elite people who were willing to stand against the grain. The rest crumbled. And, you know, we have people like Daniel, like he would not concede. He would not back down from praying, and he could, he, he could have just closed the blinds and prayed, but he opened them, stood in front of the window, and prayed. He could have stopped from causing problems and making waves. Anyway, these, this little intro here is why I brought up the chart, so you can understand. If you find yourself in these more cautious or skeptical categories, find the Christian character, the supernatural tenacity the courage, the conviction, and the perseverance for continual personal transformation so you can know by experience, have your questions answered, trust the Lord with those that aren't, and be confident in your soul winning and making disciples. We talked last week about the biblical method for change is the process known as making disciples. Okay, Matthew 28 is really clear. The 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated to them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. 
And Jesus came up and spoke, saying, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to follow all I commanded you. And behold, I will be with you always till the end of the age. The promise of his authority, the promise of his presence, and the command. Now, we looked at that summary of the National Study on Disciple Making. Some of you asked for it. Um, if anyone wants to just message me. Um, messages aren't as good because message, I can't get on my messenger. But text, phone call, see me after service. I'll send that off to you. But it was kind of bleak, right? And we looked at it, and in it, we shared a bunch of definitions. I'm not going to repeat, but... Um, they had five levels, and they talked about people who subtract, or churches that subtract from the disciple-making method, I mean, disciple-making efforts, to those who plateaued, they don't help or hurt disciple-making methods, and then there's churches who aid in the, that add disciples through church programs, and then level four is churches who reproduce personal disciple-makers. So they're not just making disciples, they're actually reproducing people who make disciples, okay? And we talked about making disciples isn't getting someone to believe in Christ. It's not winning a soul. It's continuing that, that, that person who accepts the Lord and bringing them into a way of life that's transformed. It's a way of life of following the Lord. When we look at these, and then the fifth one is this viral visitation where the Holy Spirit is fueling people to multiply personal disciple makers. It's a movement of people reproducing disciple makers who are reproducing disciple makers, and it's this contagious, fast-growing, this is where I feel we are headed, and this is where God's trying to get us to, where there's just a viral movement of people coming to Christ. And it's fueled by the power of the Holy Spirit and his visitation. This is where we're, we're headed. This is where we're going to. But I want to just look at some of these five things because not only are they categories of churches, but it's really within our, our crossing life church even. We have these, these categories of people, okay? And so one is... You know, those who subtract from the disciple-making effort. These are people who are not established in the way of Christ and his apostles or the first principles of faith. Whether intentionally or unintentionally, these people share their personal opinion that's contrary to the word of God and hinder a person from actually continuing in growth as a disciple. The example of their life, not even the words, can also have this same effect. These are people who think according to old patterns, old ways of thinking. It's not in alignment with Scripture. It's not in alignment with what we learn in first, first principles. And we actually begin to hinder people from growing as disciples in the Word. Part two, or level two, is it speaks, you know, these are plateaued people. It speaks of those, and I want you to think as we go through these, like, where do you fit? Be honest with yourself. You know, I would suggest talking in life group about this. Like, one main question is like, where do you feel you are in these descriptors? And 
what's your next steps of growth? What do you, what's God saying to you? Like, let's get to the meat of it this week and really talk about it and apply it to our lives, right? Plateaued people. It speaks of those who have not been fully established as a way of life that's evident to all. That's what being established isn't a personal thing. It's, it's something that happens. You start living and thinking differently because you've applied the truth of the scripture to your hearts and minds. And then people start noticing like, wow, they are growing. They're changing. They're being transformed. And there's evidence of it. Your progress is evident, right? Sounds like Timothy. Absorb, throw yourself fully into these things and let your progress be made known to all. Okay? So then, as a result of these people who have plateaued or not fully established, they are unable to reproduce disciple makers because they are not an established disciple themselves. They still have their own ways of doing things and that affects their own way of life rather than a submitted, surrendered heart to Jesus where God is moving through them. Now, what about those who are established, quote-unquote, but don't have time for making disciple makers? Well, they are not established. And worse than that, they're deceived to think they are established, but if they were established, they would have a lifestyle that's prioritizing trust, obedience. (laughs) The devils are mad, folks. Oh boy, yeah, you're right. If they were, right, if people are established, they have a lifestyle that puts Christ at the center, that prioritizes trust, obedience, and service to the Lord in the body of Christ, especially the Great Commission. I mean, this is called the Great Commission because it's, it's one of the greatest themes and commandments that we have, is go, therefore, make disciples teaching. So as an apostolic team, we've estimated that only 10% of our body at the Crossing Life Church is established. Think about that for a second. Established means those who have integrated the first principles into a new way of thinking and living that's evident to all. Established people are committed to continual growth, so no one stops growing. No one has bad attitudes about growing and accountability and continual development. They don't plateau for long. I mean, everyone struggles, plateaus, has dry seasons, whatever. But um, if you received this morning, I sent it out last minute at CCB, but we also have it up on, online here. Is there anyone who's not part of our CCB mailings, things like that? Anyone? Because I have a hard copy. I'm going to, okay. And then we should, I encourage you to go to Welcome Center too and get your, just add it in there because then you'll get emails, updates, calendars. We have a weekly newsletter. Um, Thanks. If anyone needs one, I do have 25 copies here about. So if it's easier, you can also access it on your phone and look at it. We're not going to go over this in detail, but, oh, you know, I do need one. (laughs) It's, 
No, I have it on my phone, but I can't read it very easily because I'm also preaching. Um, anyway, this is when we talk about establishment. We've been talking for months about establishment, right? Um, just if you need one, just keep your hand raised. But we've been talking a lot about establishment. And what I'm, this is an incredible checklist that you can go through for your own life. And what we do here is typically if you're part of, you're part of the process here, we usually, you usually have someone that you look up to more mature that you're sharing your heart and your life with. And you say, hey, fill this out for me. Um, husbands, have your spouses fill it out. It's eye-opening. And um, have people who are close to you. And then you fill it out and compare and say, hey, let's compare our answers and let's talk about it. What a great growing process, right? But if you look here, it's every single part, every single point is backed by a scripture. So it goes through early set of letters, talks about your, your very fundamental early things like being established in the gospel the second set from prison where Paul wrote the letters, it's all these things out of his middle letters that talk about, like, are you establishing the vision, the mission of the church, the people of God, the family of God? And then finally, it talks about more established in leadership items, and that's coming out of his final letters. But we have things like, um, is she, he, he or she is standing firm in the gospel, unshaken by those who might draw his or her attention away from his or her basic focus on furtherance of the gospel with alarming teaching on future events accompanied by irresponsible living, First and Second Thessalonians. And then it breaks it down. Is there evidence of his or her conversion being solid with a clear and confident turning to God and the gospel? It's out of Thessalonians. Go down... Later, are there divisions and conflicts in his or her life that are characteristic of an immature believer not being fully established in the gospel? This is all very basic early stuff. Then we go to the middle stuff where it talks more about is she walk, he or she walking in light within the church, living a careful and purposeful life with the word richly dwelling in his or her heart. Talking about that kind of stuff. Is he ordering his household around Christ's headship over the believing community with his, each family member responding appropriately as one under authority, Ephesians 5, 33 through 6. Then finally, we talk about things like, is he or she being committed to being faithful with the deposit given to him or her and boldly fighting the good fight and finishing the course, 2 Timothy. Anyway, this is a powerful tool. So we're not talking in a really vague way of like, what is it to be established? It's very clear. It's not individualistic either. It's not about like knowing the catechism, knowing the right things. It's about receiving the word, the doctrine, and letting it become part of your life that you live it. And you don't live it individually so no one, individualistically so no one can see. You live it in a way that becomes evident to those around you, meaning you are integrated. You are committed, connected, engaged in a community. And, and, and that's the context of this whole assessment. So do what you wish with it. Use it. Grow with it. All that kind of stuff. But, but it gives you very specifics. that We're not going to go through that today. But this is for you to like, Go through in your devotion times and fill it out and write little comments and things you need to grow on, right? So we talked about subtracting, plateaued. How about three? Adding disciples by church programs. As a, 
as a leadership team, we've done this well, in comparison maybe. Um, for decades, we have been successful at making disciples. With the help of the Holy Spirit, we, we've made thousands of believers involved in making hundreds of disciples and have made dozens of disciple makers. I think that would be a fair assessment. To me, it sounds, it, it's good, and one person makes it worth it all. So qualitatively, it is good. I am not happy with this for my own life, for our church. And don't misunderstand me. You know, like I said, that one soul is worth it all. But I think after, how long has it been? 15 years, 16 years of having a church, and we only have made a couple dozen, maybe, disciple makers. And I'm talking about like, like Wes and Tommy. You know, they were disciples, and they, now they're making disciples. They are disciple makers. But, and then over in Europe, and people that don't even come to our church anymore, but we're part, we influence them, and they're now ministers, they're missionaries, things like this. Those are definitely fruit from our lives. But, folks, this is not fulfilling the call God's created for us. It's not fulfilling this. It's much greater, much larger than this. And so this is not Sean preaching at you. This is Sean preaching the truth so that we grow and push into greater fruitfulness. Like we are all challenged. If you think I'm just pointing the finger preaching to you, you are wrong. This is like, God, do a work. Let's grow. Change us, Father. You know, we've trained at this church, I, I don't know a lot of places like this place. We've trained in many programs, specialized in tools like Build, Encounters, Journey, Sozo, Theophostics, Elijah House, Deliverance-type programs, Celebrate Recovery, MFMO, FWO, First Love to Love. The list goes on and on of tools in our arsenal to help people grow and escape oppression, and escape addiction, and all manner of darkness, and bring them into growth, and into a place of strength with Christ. But if you notice here, as a church, we're really at level three, which is this place of adding disciples through programs. You know, we're even adopting like new technology, like neurotherapy. It's not new. It's actually started 100 years ago and has been effective treating ADHD with no medicine, like 80% helping ADHD. Um, but for 50 years, it's been used from the start for ADHD, but it has incredible things. Neurotherapy trains a patient's brain to produce more normal and optimum brainwave patterns. You know, there's a number of technologies, but... You know, we're, we're trying to use this as a basis for, it, it can even optimize processing of your brain. So you may not have PTSD or depression or anxiety um, or trauma, but just the fact that it can help you think quicker, quicker neural um, pathways, things like that. And it's, it's basically your, um, during neurofeedback Therapy, it senses it does an EEG and basically measures the brain waves. And as you engage in activity, a computer constantly, within a half a second, can tell whether that's a, a positive or a negative 
brainwave and it begins to just through lights and screens, things like that, it just, it gives positive feedback or negative feedback. And your brain says, oh, I don't like the negative feedback. I don't want to watch a screen and have it become dark. I want to see it. My, it, it likes to, you know, flourish on that. So it quickly maneuvers and goes in a positive direction. Well, this, this is called neurotherapy. And so we've partnered with um, an organization and we're like beginning to use this and seeing we've personally done it and it's really brought a positive effect with our, our family because that's why we want to test it first. And now we are seeing that it could have tremendous development for anyone who's concerned with helping people and making effective disciple makers. It's, a, it's another whole dimension. And so we are looking for people who want to train in this and be have a technical job in this, if there is anyone here. We've already partnered with a licensed therapist and personally experienced the benefits. Um, Diane Arsenal is willing to help, but we need a person or two to train and take a paid position. There's a lot of people in our church that want to partake in this, and we just need help. We need someone. So if you hear this and you're like, oh, I am interested, that is something I'd really like to get into. Come and see me, because we just need to hire someone and start moving in this direction and helping people. So that's a little commercial. Level four is where I believe we're really growing into in disciple makers. Right now, I believe we need a paradigm shift. We have set our end goal at making disciples. We've talked about planting churches, growing, multiplying, but we're not there yet. We're really good at making disciples. But we have to take that as our end goal and move it to making disciple makers. And when you make a disciple maker, you make a new life group. You start multiplying disciples. You start multiplying churches. Our life groups here are like micro churches, part of a, a network, right? And so we're making disciples. And we need to go to a place where we need to recalibrate and set our own goal at disciple makers who plant churches. Now, this is the intent of Isaiah 61. We've studied Isaiah 61 forever, right? It's, it's like our favorite scripture here at the church. But if you turn there, we're going to just read through this. And I want you to see the progression here. This is something, this is our heart, our vision. But this is the next step. It's a place we're challenged. We're all challenged to grow personally, and then corporately. So Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord anointed me to bring good news to the humble. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim release to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, oil of gladness instead of mourning, the cloak of praise instead of a disheartened spirit. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Now, that whole part is all on healing, restoration, and then relationship, ending as an oak, a, a planting where you're planted and grounded in a community with other trees, right? Providing shade and fruit for others, right? This, this whole first part of section of Isaiah 61, we'll say A, is all about this 
about people being made into disciples. We are disciple makers, right? Then we get into this part where we're talking about a movement of disciple makers. Reprocessing, we just call it like reproduction, right? They will rebuild. Who's they? The ones who were were captives, the ones who were brokenhearted, all the people who were touched by the Spirit of the Lord and they became trees, strong plantings of righteousness. And these people, they will rebuild the ancient ruins. They'll raise up former desolations. They will repair ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. This is massive work. This is like exponential fruitfulness, right? It's not just leading a person to the Lord and teaching them scripture and the way of Christ. This is about like disciple makers going and making disciple makers and literally changing whole cities. Desolations of generations. It's like, like in a football game, you know how everyone piles up? Well, that's how dysfunction looks generation, generationally. Year after year of pile up of dysfunction. So like a movement of disciple makers that's fueled by the Spirit of God that's almost viral goes and begins to strip off years of dysfunction and raise up the person and say, now go make disciples. And they start aggressively, actively going and making disciples. It changes cities. It changes nations. That's why in Matthew 28, it doesn't say go and make disciples. It says go disciple all nations. Okay, amen. Woo, I had to shout at least. (laughs) Wow, that's some exciting stuff there. Listen to the effects of this. Strangers will stand and pasture your flocks. Meaning people will be brought into the work to steward and help maintain. Foreigners will be your farmers and vine dressers. You will be called the priests of the Lord. You will be spoken to as ministers of God. That's not just the fivefold ministers here, folks. That's all of us are called to a place to be real ministers. We'll be known as priests and ministers of the Lord. Why? Because we're making disciples. And we're making disciple makers. This is like a, can you see this isn't like an individualistic like approach? This is like a, a movement type, reproducing exponential approach of God's, God's, God's kingdom on earth, fueled by the Holy Spirit. Do you see how we're not there yet? <laughs> we're not. We're just, we're doing good at making disciples, but like, that's addition. We need to move to multiplication. Exponential is even more than multiplication. It's like E to the whatever power. And it just multiplies itself that many times. It's, it's a whole nother level, right? And I feel God's bringing us here. Listen, you will eat the wealth of nations. Now, I know God, and I know he's not this selfish, materialistic God. He's saying you will eat the wealth of nations because you'll take the wealth and you'll use it to propagate his work and his, his, his name and his truth and his goodness and his love and his light. What do we, we talk about? Our promise for land, wealth, souls. Land, wealth, souls. Land, wealth, souls. Right? He's given us all this land. It's starting to produce wealth in an, in an amazing way. Like, the bank looked at our financials, and um, I sent 
I sent last year's because they were closed, full year. Sent them because we, we bought that house back there. So we're already getting it ready for some interns to move in. And then we're going to make our money back, right? <laughs> um, quickly. So when I gave him the financials, he looked and he goes, um, I, I had some questions. I'm like, uh-oh. And he goes, no, I want to make sure there were no massive donations because this is a massive increase. I'm like, I know. It's fulfillment. God is, is pouring out wealth. He's pouring out wealth. And so I said, no, this is a grassroots movement. And I started preaching to the banker about how God has promised us wealth to reach the great harvest of souls on the earth and how we're just stewarding what he's doing. And I said, no, we haven't received any massive donations. They're just all people. I said, do you realize? And I started preaching to him. I don't have to preach to you because you know it, but I'm like, like, I had, remember the week I had everyone raise their hands that had substantial crazy increase and 50 people raised their hands. It is a move that was even prophesied years ago. Like we were told, get ready. God is going to increase wealth. And so the guy's just like, oh, well, this is very good news, Sean. Now that's the same bank that, that holds the mortgage on the whole thing now. That's, they've been wonderful to deal with. But my point is, is that he was astounded. I just I got some text from Tommy this morning because he's kind of looking at what God's done in Carmel over this past year. And he's like, we have exponentially increased. Like, I think their gross revenue or their income and their giving has doubled or almost tripled over the last year. They've gotten grants for construction. They've done like $80,000 worth of improvements on that property. And that's, and then... The missions that we have given, because a year ago I just said, man, we are so, we need to really press missions. I, I, think, I think we're, I have to get the figures for you and just present it, but we've, we've probably tripled our giving to missions, which is amazing, folks. We are, we are being faithful stewards and, and doing what we said. When we increase in wealth, we are going to see the gospel promoted across the globe. <laughs> Amen, Sean. Woo, that's good news. Save souls. You are wise. Yes. Okay, end of verse six. And you will boast in their riches. Instead of your shame, you will have double portion. Instead of humiliation, they will shout for joy over their portion. We're still talking about wealth, provision, the ability to make a difference in the whole world. That is a, that's huge scale. Therefore, they will possess a double portion in their land. There's the land part. Everlasting joy will be theirs. That's that intrinsic qualitative part. Wealth of emotions, wealth of, of strength that you could actually have conviction, fortitude, supply in your own self to be able to give to others and encourage them. <laughs> everlasting joy for I the Lord love justice I hate robbery in the burnt offering and I will faithfully give them their reward and make an everlasting covenant with them then their offspring even your children and your grandchildren will be known among the nations 
Oh, and this is what discipling nations is about. Their descendants in the midst of the peoples, all will see them and recognize them because they are the offspring whom the Lord has blessed. And I'm telling you folks, I truly believe with all the negativity in, toward the church, you know, the bride is not spotless. She is very wrinkled and tarnished and tattered with all the churches who are compromised, who are not following the Lord. For all the churches who even do worse than that and just don't follow the Lord, they, they actually hurt people and abuse them. There will be a payment. God doesn't, he, he loves justice, not those who rob from the burnt offering. And this is speaking of, of priesthood and churches who malign the gospel. Okay, may we not be that. I believe God in this revival and awakening that's coming is not just going to see people come to him. He's going to judge injustice and he's going he's to make wrong things right and he's going to cause people to say, oh, the church is awesome, even if they're not part because the reputation of its fruitfulness is going to hit the world. And I'll tell you, there's a lot of hurt and injustice, injustice that has damaged people's view of the church. But I'll tell you what, there's even a wave of young people coming in and millennials who were disenfranchised with the church that are now starting to come up and begin to get engaged again. And there's a, there's a reversal of the trends. This level five God is gonna bring us there with the help of the Holy Spirit. We will make millions of believers hundreds of thousands of disciples and make tens of thousands of disciple makers. That is my goal, folks, that through this little humble church here, and even if we grow to what God's promised us to grow to, we're going to see the effects of millions of souls across the globe. And, you know, we may not be leading all those people to the Lord, but we are going to influence the ones doing it. We're going to have millions of people that we have influenced through our obedience and trust. So I want to ask you a few questions just to, to just hit this home. What category of making disciple makers best describes you? And I want you to really be honest and think about this. I mean, we're, we've seen great success in making disciples. We've learned a lot of hard things. We've seen a lot of failures in our attempts. And over the decades we've done it, we've learned and we've adjusted and we've tried to grow and say, it's not about failure, it's about learning our lesson to learn. We gotta grow. But folks, I still say we're three. We aren't, we aren't, we're adding disciples here. And we're adding and then some people go for whatever reason. And then we add some more and we're still growing, like steady growth. But like, this isn't really God's plan. And you know, we look around, some other churches are dying and closing. And that's tragic. But that is more the norm than a church growing. I mean, we grew during COVID. We grew. And there's others I've heard reports of growing during really difficult times. But my point is, is that is this where we are now is not where we need to be. And we can look around and say, we're not doing bad. Look, we're doing pretty good. Well, folks, we're not comparing. You compare yourself to another, you're a fool. That's what the scripture says. 
right? Our sight is on the Lord. What are we doing to please him? Are we at a place of his created design? Are we functioning at the optimal level of what he's called us to? I'd say no, no, no. And I'd say we need to really ask ourselves, where are we in this? Not in some individualistic assessment like, well, you know, personally, I have this private faith. Well, no, that's not a biblical faith. A biblical faith is outward, inspiring growth and progress of your heart and your living for for Christ. So ask yourself this, and I I dare you to talk to your life groups about it. Be honest, and what would you say your next steps are to grow in all, all the spheres of your life? Like, personally, Will you be daring enough to share with people like, yeah, I'm weak in this and I feel like, or maybe you say, I don't see any problems in myself, but other people see it. I just don't agree with them. Maybe I'm proud. Maybe I'm stubborn. You know, how about your family? What ways do you need to grow for your family? Your church family. And then finally, what's, what places do you need to posture yourself for impacting the globe. Like each one of us, we might not go to India or China, but we are like impacting that. You know we like, we give substantially every single month to build. They're working in 46 nations. They're dealing with 75% of all the church plant, all the networks of churches in India most popular place China they are officially they've been added the top two leaders in an open letter they call it to the whole country of China saying these people are troublemakers they're they're causing dissension think about that because they're leading people to the Lord they're like the the apostles who were going from town to town and they were getting stoned They're making real difference, affecting global leaders and bringing millions to the Lord. And we're part of that. But we also have our own role, our own call, and I I truly believe it's a matter of time because God's waiting for us to become a showroom where people come and see surrendered lives and they see a one-mindedness and they see a, a people who are focused together on the gospel. So let's respond a little to to the Lord here today. And just talk to the Lord and invite him in. Ask him to do a fresh work. It is what I'm doing. I'm saying, Lord, I want to grow. I want to see what's needed for the next level, the next place you've called us to. I want to continue the journey. I want to continue the quest. Lord, do a fresh work in me. Come on, just talk to him right now. Just ask him. You know because the Holy Spirit's been prompting your heart and leading you and guiding you. What is it he wants to do in you? I thank you for the spirit of wisdom, revelation, Lord God, that you would just come and begin to move in our midst. Speak to us. Speak to us how to be better personally in our families, in our church, in our work of spreading the gospel across the nations, Father.
Come on, all across the room, pray. Come on, respond to God just in your own way here.